Hello everyone and welcome to Publications with the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. I'm your host, Brendan Mullen. I am new to this whole fantastic game of podcasting and I'm thrilled and excited and super stoked to be here. So I am here today with Demetra Atri, a research scientist at Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. You might have heard him in a previous podcast, but we are talking about something new and exciting today. Today we're going to talk about a recent publication of his that he that uh, is in press. Sorry, it hasn't been published yet. Uh, something that he will publish in the uh, journal Astrobiology paper, an exciting, awesome new paper called Galactic Cosmic Ray Induced Radiation Dose on Terrestrial Exoplanets. So, Demetra, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here, Brandon. All right. So, our first question. You talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast, how galactic cosmic rays are important in determining habitability, I stumble on that word every time, habitability of worlds, uh, but this is a slightly different take. So to start, what is it about galactic cosmic rays that is so important? Right. So usually in our daily life, we never think about galactic cosmic rays, but when we think about going in space or going to Mars, we always think about this radiation, how we'll be protected from radiation. So galactic cosmic rays are particles, high energy particles streaming everywhere in our galaxy. And we are protected from them by our thick atmosphere and our Earth has a magnetic field, even our sun has a magnetic field, and charged particles are deflected by that magnetic field. So the flux that we receive on the ground is extremely low, and we uh, we are not affected by them in any way. But suppose uh, our atmosphere was much thinner than we have right now, or what if the magnetic field was much smaller, then the flux of radiation will be much, much higher, and then it will cause many biological effects that you would expect when you're exposed to radiation. So my purpose in this paper was to explore these two parameters. One is the magnetic uh, field of the planet and the thickness of its atmosphere and how it would affect the radiation dose on the surface. So in a sense, you're, you're kind of adding a new dimension to the concept of the habitable zone. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So for you listeners at home, we're talking about the habitable zone, which is the zone around a star in which you might find a world that could be habitable or support liquid water on its surface. And usually that's kind of thought about in terms of geological processes or things that happen in the, the atmosphere and on the planet, but this is something new. This has to do with radiation coming in from outside. So what were your main findings in this study? So the main finding was that the thickness of the atmosphere is very, very important. So what I did was I took the Earth's atmosphere and I simulated using a very complex uh, Monte Carlo code uh, what is the radiation dose on the surface of the Earth and compared it with experimental data just to calibrate my model. 
And then I changed the magnetic field. So I reduced the magnetic field by 50%, 15%, reduced it to zero. I also changed the atmosphere. So I brought the atmosphere of the Earth down by 70%, 50%, 20%, even 10%. And what I found was that changing the magnetic field does not have that big effect that you would expect. So for example, right now, if I were to switch off the magnetic field of the Earth, the radiation dose that we get on the ground will be increased by twice. Uh, that is uh, a big increase, but because the radiation dose is so low, it will not have any effect on life on Earth. But at the same time, if I uh, decrease the atmosphere by, let us say, 10%, the radiation dose increase will be much higher. So in a case where I uh, reduce the atmosphere to 10% that of the Earth without any magnetic field, the radiation dose increase is more than two orders of magnitude. Mm. And so if uh, normal human beings would go there, they will die very, very soon. So I did a calculation that uh, within eight years, any kind of human being uh, will die there because of cancer. Well, that's kind of a depressing thought. But it's kind of interesting because whenever we talk about the importance of the magnetosphere, everyone always brings up these, these videos and images uh, from s satellites of all these cosmic rays and charged particles hitting detectors and you think, oh my goodness, all of our satellites are going down whenever the sun has a little uh, coronal mass ejection or some sort of eruption. So this is kind of an interesting perspective. Now, what was your main motivation for trying to study these hypothetical planets, let's say, that have very weak magnetic fields like why would you be looking at this yeah so right now what people are interested in is looking for biosignatures uh, and what they do is they model the radiation environment of that planet they look at the photon flux uh, from a from a star and they model the atmosphere and then they calculate what is happening it's in its photochemistry and try to find out whether anything of a biological uh, origin is coming out of there. One, one thing that is missing is the flux of these particles uh, called galactic cosmic rays. And other than changing the atmospheric chemistry, they will also contribute to the radiation dose on the surface, which has never been studied. So I looked at planets which have much lower magnetic field, uh, smaller atmosphere than the Earth because in that, those cases, radiation is higher and then it becomes important. So for example, uh, you have a planet with very thick atmosphere like our satellite Titan, or you have a planet with very strong magnetic field. Then in that case, we don't have to worry about radiation at all. So it is not important. Mm. That's interesting. And in particular, you're talking about planets that are around these what we call late type stars, these M stars that are smaller and cooler and dimmer. Uh, why in particular do you make that distinction? Right, because we have a lot of M stars in our galaxy, so it becomes natural to study them. Uh, another interesting thing about these stars is that uh, early on, these are very active stars, so they uh, emit a lot of radiation, a lot of sudden bursts or flares. 
but over time they cool down and they become very very stable because, and uh, that becomes a perfect place where life can uh, originate mm. so you think about these cool stars any planets that could be habitable must be pretty close in because otherwise they'd be way too cool to support liquid water and mm. in that case they'd be tidally locked too they would always have the same face towards the, towards the star does that affect the magnetosphere in any appreciable way yeah so this uh, if the star has a very strong magnetic field then because the planet is closed then the star's magnetic field is going to shield that radiation uh, another thing that uh, these tidally locked planets uh, one interesting thing is that because we know the rate of their spin and everything it is possible to um, estimate the magnetic field of that planet because we know the exact rate at which it is spinning. So some ways you can estimate that. Hmm. Interesting. So how does this in a general sense relate to this idea of the habitable zone? Do you introduce like an on-off switch that a world that might otherwise have liquid water on its surface, it doesn't really matter, it's not habitable because it's just being bombarded with radiation? Like how, how does this finesse this whole concept of the habitable zone? Right, so uh, let us say a hypothetical case where we find liquid water on the surface of a planet. But let us say it has a very, very thin atmosphere and almost no magnetic field. So in that case, the radiation dose on its surface is going to be very, very high. And I wouldn't say that it is habitable for Earth-like biosphere. Maybe some other kind of life exists there and we don't know about it. And then again, uh, it goes uh, in a different regime that life exists on that planet as we don't know it. Hmm. So just to wrap things up now, I see that you've had a previous podcast where you talked about uh, galactic cosmic rays and how they might be important to increasing the ionization of the atmosphere and then increasing lightning, which is important to early biochemistry. Is that right? Right. And now you have a now we have a slightly different perspective where it's harmful to the development of of complex life. So I wonder like how your thinking has changed between these two podcasts, these two publications. Right. So these are two different things. The radiation is the same. Um, so to our listeners, when you have a higher uh, flux of these particles, there is more atmospheric ionization. There's more electricity in the atmosphere, so you'll have more lightning. And from Miller-Urey experiment, we know how lightning is important for the origin of life. But at the same time, increased flux of this radiation can damage life itself. So it's a tricky situation. And one has to really think about what uh, level of radiation is optimum for life. That is something we don't know. Okay, well, I think that's a great place to start, or actually to stop, because we had started previously. So thank you, Demetra Atri, a research scientist at the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. This has been Publications with the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science, and I've been your host, Brendan Mullen. Thank you for listening, everyone, and thank you, Demetra, for joining us today. Thanks, Brendan. All right, goodbye, everybody. Thank you.